The Guardian. There's a lot to this job, and as you saw yesterday, I don't get all of it right. But I do know how to run the economy. Tonight's debate is about you, about your job, the taxes you pay, your family, about the prosperity of our economy. We've actually got to get value for money in our public services. I want good public services for everyone, and we can only do that if we save and stop the waste. Hello, welcome to our daily election podcast. I'm Michael White, and we've just all staggered out of the final televised debate of the campaign to assess what we've seen and heard. I'm joined by Guardian columnists Polly Toynbee and Martin Kettle. Hello to you both. Hi there. Hello. Tonight's debate held by the BBC on the campus of Birmingham University focused on the economy should have been a better field for Gordon Brown after a horrid day yesterday who came out on top, Polly. Uh, I think it left things very much as they were in the polls before, with Cameron a bit ahead, Clegg not too far behind, and uh, Gordon Brown bringing up the rear, I'm afraid. Martin? Well, I think that's the one, two, three. I don't dis- disagree with Polly on that, but I actually thought Cameron uh, behaved like, looked like, and will have been seen like the winner. And I think that was actually the key thing that happened today. I think the second key thing is that Gordon Brown, although he worked hard, tried hard, you know, played a full 90 minutes, didn't get uh, Labour back into the game in the way that um, he will have hoped, but probably not expected to do. Take money out of the economy now, David, for ideological reasons, and you put the recovery at risk. And I do fear an emergency Tory budget in a few weeks' time putting the very work that we've done to secure the recovery in jeopardy, and no other country in the world is prepared to do that now. Gordon's argument, in a way, is let me go on wasting your money so I can put up your taxes next year. And it's taxes on people earning £20,000, £21,000. These are not rich people. Not for the first time. It struck me that Brown has many good points and mastery of detail and policy. What he cannot do is communicate to voters in a meaningful way which allows them to get it, what he's trying to say. I kept on scoring him, knowing that nobody would uh, quite follow it unless they knew it all very well. No, he talks quite technical stuff in technical language, condensed into kind of stiff mantras. Uh, he doesn't explain. The other two are very good at, at making things quite simple, possibly too simple. <laughs> it may be that he knows better than they are that these things are not simple. And so it's harder to put across. But it's true he doesn't talk human very well. No, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, on on what he will obviously see as his trump card, the handling of the economy, his language is curiously abstract and, and academic. I mean, he talks about supporting the economy, that, you know, we've got to support the economy. I wonder what people think that means out there. I mean, he doesn't talk about, you know, keeping people at work, keeping businesses going. He talks about supporting the economy uh, and, and saying, you know, David Cameron wants to shrink the economy. I mean, I don't think that is communication skilled language no, both, of, both of the other two were better at that in talking tangibles weren't they Martin the first question was the one that journalists have been asking uh, for the last three weeks why won't the parties set out their plans for cuts more specifically Peter Mandelson said what's well, alright for the Institute for Fiscal Studies is not running for election one thing I would like to add is this that Nadine you're quite right in implying that none of the political parties have, have spelt out all the details some of them are simply not possible to spell out now but clearly more work will need to be done. We've gone further than others, but clearly more will need to be done. But something which I think 
would make a huge difference to us all as we deal with these very difficult decisions about how to balance the books, is for once to get the politicians actually working together on this. And I've suggested, and I don't know what, whether David Cameron and Gordon Brown want to take up my invitation, is that regardless of the outcome of the general election next week, wouldn't it be a good thing to get the Chancellor and the Vice-Chancellors of all the parties together with the Governor of the Bank of England, with the Head of the Financial Services Authority, simply to sort of be open and be straight with you about how big this black hole is and roughly how long it's going to take to deal with it. They all said they were going to be much franker than they actually were. We didn't, I think, unless Polly can correct me, hear anything new uh, about anybody's uh, plans or sums. Uh, Why is that? I mean, I think partly the, the opposition parties actually don't know what the situation is. Clearly, we're, there is a likelihood next week that, uh, you know, if the Tories win, you know, George Osborne will emerge from number 11 Downing Street at some point in the next couple of weeks and saying, you know, we've discovered it's far, far, far worse That's than anybody what they usually ever told do, us. That, I sort of feel we've been here before. Yeah. Polly? I thought that, uh, on the whole, uh, None of them were honest at all. But I think we also have to remember that, you know, we, the voters, are not very honest either. And that any time anybody has tried in the course of this campaign to suggest that actually things are pretty bad and there will have to be bad cuts, they get punished yeah, by the, the voters who don't want cuts. Cameron they plunged want... in the polls, didn't he? Uh, he did. When he said, time, when he the, said uh, age, age of austerity, austerity, nobody liked it. And then Labour piled in and said, look, look, they're going to be the terrible cutting party and people don't like that. And Cameron very rapidly today I thought tonight withdrew from the idea that he was the cutting party he was going soft and he was going on generosity and the vulnerable and looking after he was trying to be upbeat wasn't he he? was it was was, you know all those words like you know I'm optimistic I'm positive all that 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 was that was these were the leitmotifs of his his whole uh, performance mind you he never denied any of the specific allegations I thought that Gordon Brown laid it on him when he said you're going to cut you're going to make us pay for nurseries you're going to cut child tax credit all of those things, he never really resiled from that. And Brown said that in his closing statement, didn't he? But again, he didn't say it with much impact or, or, or lightness. We're being joined at this point by Paul Lewis, who is uh, the Guardian's correspondent, been attending the big de- debate on the campus at Birmingham University, and he's been um, in the spin room listening to all those chaps explaining why their candidate did so well. Paul, what's it been like? Well, what can I say, Michael? I mean, it's uh, it's a strange experience, really. This place, it's it's odd. I've spent you know the last day and a bit having it kind of in the neck from um, from the spin doctors complaining actually that, that we're not we're not covering enough policy. That's, we're you, not that's the, not just you. It's all the media, yeah. as in all the media, exactly. And then and then you know you come to an event like this, and the stuff they're spinning isn't policy at all. It's just you know my man won and the others lost. And you know I've just been handed a scruffy bit of paper with 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 Gordon Brown's face on it, and the other two people crossed off. I mean, that's the kind of level of debate that you get And what sort of things are they saying, Paul, about why their man uh, won? Almost regardless of what they say in the kind of spinning moments, it's interesting because obviously this is all new. It's interesting it's new, it's how new the you. kind of... Well, it's new to me. I mean, I saw a bit of it out in the States as well, but it's interesting the anatomy of the evening because initially Mandy comes out and he's, you know, the last... The first debate, he was the first, and this debate, again, he's the first, and he comes out... 15 minutes before the um, the debate's even finished. And then you get spinning about spinning. So the spinners are complaining about Mandelson coming out too early. Then he started spinning too early, and, you know, he's not respecting the other candidates. They haven't got 76 rules for spinning as well as the debates, have they? Well, so maybe they, they should do. Do. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a free-for-all, really. Who's best at this, Paul? 
Well, I, I mean, you have you have to kind of give that award to um, to Mandelson because he's the That's king. That's the of right it. answer. I mean, he, uh, but it's the right answer. But well, I mean, he, you know, the fact that he's got more people around him than anyone else, and that's because they know that he's going to give the best quote. They know he's actually very, very good at spinning. I mean, um, it, what's quite interesting to see is the, the kind of old guard come out as well, and you wonder how much it is because they kind of they miss it. I mean, Charlie Whelan's here, and of course, Alistair Campbell, oh as Polly mentioned as well. And uh, you, you, it's just a kind of sense that they enjoy the limelight so much and now it's gone that this is their only kind of opportunity to get it back. Oh, that's and such actually, a cruel remark no, to well, make, no, but it's true, but Actually, I kind of think it's quite useless because as I was about to say before, the thing that really kind of drops the anatomy of it is that there's all this spinning that goes on. It's all a bit kind of hell for, the, for leather and then the poles drop around kind of 20 minutes past 10 and you get the succession of poles and then every, you know, the whole mood changes. And you can see it in the body language. And I think this <laughs> evening, this evening, when the pole, three consecutive poles dropped, putting Cameron ahead, that's what changed everything, really. And, 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 that, and that was hard to spin uh, in any direction other than, well, look, you know, okay. Cameron's won and the Tory press tomorrow are going to say it. Paul Lewis there. Martin, when Nick Clegg suggested replacing bankers' bonuses, I thought he was rather good on bankers' bonuses, better than the other two, actually, much more specific. But he made Gordon Brown chuckle, if Mr Brown chuckles, when he talked about giving them golf club membership instead. <laughs> Fact is, uh, the public are, are very angry about uh, uh, bank bonuses and the failures of the bank uh, in America as well as here, and understandably. I've been surprised in this campaign that... Uh, None of the parties have really tried to be the party that really heavily is running against the bankers. There is a, you know, there are two groups of people that you wouldn't really want to be uh, in this election. One is a sitting MP, uh, and the other is a banker. And uh, th there's a real, there has been a real opportunity. There's a lot of anger out there, and I think um, it's quite surprising. I, I thought Cameron, to me, made some slightly more anti-banker remarks than I've really. Uh, noticed in Example. some of his other things. Well, right at the beginning, um, when he was talking uh, 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 about the banks, he said that um, he said there were two big things you needed to do. One was reward work. Well, we we know about that. That's the the, the welfare to work question, and and of course, welfare is an area which none of the parties is to, uh, has actually fessed up to the amount of cuts they're going to be making. Uh, and the other was you know getting getting heavy with the banks, ta taxing the banks. And uh, I, you know, I thought that. that that was interestingly prominent in what he said. Of course, the other thing he, he said at that Obama point... He Obama as well. He says, oh, yes. we're on the same track as and, Mr. Obama. And the other thing, yes, that's, that plays well here, even if it may not in America. Um, and the other thing, of course, he had a f pretty free shot with saying, I would never have joined the euro. And, of course, uh, that, uh, in present circumstances, uh, seems like a wise and, He uh, said that Nick Clegg would, thing. and Clegg said we wouldn't right away. And Gordon Brown yeah. didn't join in. That surprised me, because Brown can attack them both on Europe, and he didn't. Yes, it was strange. Um, Going I mean, back on the, the banks a minute, I, th I thought that I thought that uh, Cameron landed quite a good one on on Brown when he talked about Fred the Shred, and who got a knighthood from Labour for services well, to Brown banking. Brown had said yeah. uh, that I got so angry when this chairman of the bank said there was uh, it was only a cash flow problem as his bank tottered, and I knew there were structural problems. And uh, obligingly, uh, Cameron named his source. I have never been so angry as when I talked to the chairman of a bank who told me the night before his bank collapse that all he had was a cash flow problem, when I knew it was a structural failing that was absolutely fundamental and the banks needed recapitalised immediately. I assume the banker that we were just being told about was probably uh, Fred Goodwin, so-called Fred the Shred. It was actually this government that gave this man a knighthood for services to banking. 
That was Fred. And, and it was that. Fred. Unfortunately, uh, for, for Brown, I think that both Cameron and Clay came out with much more radical policies on the banks. None of these were new. They've all been there in their manifestos, and they have talked about them a bit. Because Brown's you know, the incumbent. If he gets radical, he could, you know, the markets would panic in the morning and the FTSE would be down 200 points, yes? Well, possibly, but I also think it's not his instinct to be. He never has been radical with the city or with banks, and uh, he likes to see himself on, as a player on the international stage getting brokering international deals, and he may be right that it would be a race to the bottom if you allow each country to set its own form of regulation. Nevertheless, we're in an election campaign, we're in the last week, and I think it would have been better to sound more radical, and I knew he'd be outflanked and he was. I didn't expect him to be outflanked by Cameron. He was definitely outflanked by a colleague who just said no bonuses at all, uh, only long-term incentives, nobody to get more than 2,500, i.e. your local bank clerk, not not people, nobody in boards. Uh, And I thought that worked pretty well. um, Somewhere I heard him say the other day, my dad was a banker, you know, and my dad's generation of bankers were pretty responsible. I think he said that in one of the earlier debates. That's where you heard him say it. Oh, did we get so confused? (laughs) I thought it was a press conference, Martin. My dad's generation is even crosser than the rest of us now. Uh, Talking to uh, MPs on the phone in a quiet moment this afternoon, you two, people out on the campaign trail in their constituencies, no media attention. How's it going? They all say that immigration's uh, the issue on the doorstep with so many of their voters. One of the things which didn't happen today is that nobody mentioned Mrs Duffy or the word bigot. Well, you didn't need to mention Mrs Duffy. She was there in the room, wasn't she? She was there on the platform in... in uh, in, spi- in, in spirit, she, the fourth podium was not occupied by Alex Salmond of the Scottish Nationalists, as he had uh, hoped. But it was uh, sort of symbolically offered, uh, occupied by uh, Ms. Mrs. Duffy. I mean, you're right; she didn't come up in the debate explicitly, except at the right at the beginning when Gordon Brown um, tried to try to kill the issue off by saying, "You know, you, you've seen me; de- uh, you've seen that I didn't deal with it well." But actually. She didn't need to be there mm. because I think nine out of ten voters will have had some sense in watching that, that, you know, this was a man who'd uh, gone through 24 of the worst yeah. political hours of his career yeah. and you kind of didn't need to spell it all out because it's, it's there, it's just part of the equation. They all had their little points. Cameron's got a cap and uh, Gordon Brown's got his point system and they both alleged that Nick Clegg would let uh, asylum seekers stay, there'd be an amnesty and this would only encourage more. Yes. As always in this discussion, it's curiously unsatisfactory to people listening at home, isn't it? It's very difficult because what a lot of people listening at home say, well, what are they doing here? And in a way, there isn't a good answer to that. I mean, I was out and about today and uh, I was at a, a school that was almost entirely uh, Somali, Ethiopian. And you thought, people Where was this? these parts of the world, this is in Hammersmith, people in these parts of the world... And they didn't speak good English. They hadn't bothered to register to vote, although they were allowed to vote, and they hadn't bothered. And uh, they were not engaged in the political process at all. And you can see why people say, what are these people doing here? They're not even our people, like Indians and Pakistanis and people from our Commonwealth. These are people from parts of the world we don't have a natural connection with. How come so many of them are here? And it is something of a mystery, and I don't Asylum think... Asylum seekers in the case of Somalia. Some, <laughs> some, but I think a lot of them not. I, don't, I think the worry is that the census that happens later this year is, not going, is still not going to capture how many people are here, why they're here, how they got here. Uh, it is very mysterious, and 
because nobody knows the answer nor knows the numbers, uh, it leaves everybody feeling very insecure and quite angry. You can see why, because I don't think it was ever a political policy decision that this should happen. It just happened. I think that uh, I think that's right. I mean, I think the one the polit- politically what what has happened now is that the Mrs. Duffy incident has kind of given permission for Labour voters, uh, erstwhile Labour voters, to look elsewhere when they hadn't been necessarily thinking of doing so. Talk to one two people today uh, from some seats in East London who are uh, you know who are really quite worried about the impact of yeah. the the Duffy confrontation. Labour MP in the Midlands made the point you've just made. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I was talking to people in in sort of uh, Essex and uh, and 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 uh, North East London, and I you know where the BNP I think is regarded as uh, quite a powerful factor, and uh, you know there's a lot going to be a lot of BNP advertising featuring Mrs Duffy uh, apparently in local papers over the next few days. So you know. Th- that I think has given permission f- for voters to to look elsewhere, but I think the principal beneficiaries of that, if that process does take place, are still likely to be the uh, Liberal Democrats mm, okay. rather than the, uh, okay. the the minor parties. Well, we had to wait until the final question on education before David Cameron mentioned his big society idea. I heard him made a set speech set piece speech on this this week it didn't go down terribly well it all sounds very airy fairy that's the word even some of his own own candidates use about airy fairy somebody said to me anyway he did get it into this debate at last uh, is that more than a gimmick polly uh, I think it's a gimmick. I think he kind of believes it. I think he does passionately believe it. I think he does believe it. I think it's important sector. to recognise yeah, it. But I, he I doesn't right, understand what it means. Consensus. It's all very well. Uh, uh, and I think, he, you know, he's, he has a bit of Tony Blair about him. He can believe what he wants to believe. He can believe the power of his own rhetoric. He believes well, this idea of His mum was a magistrate these... and his father was on the parish council. Yes. That, you hear him say that. Well, you know, this is a real... This is a rich village in Berkshire, well, of course. Absolutely. This <laughs> is home counties. This is not volunteering in bleak estates where there are no volunteers and life is hard and the people who live there are least capable of finding the time or the resources to do the volunteering. I've been following through, I've been writing this week about an estate I've been following for the last 10 years Clapham Park Estate, which has had a huge amount of money put in on a new deal for community scheme to make people volunteer and I've been talking back to them and they said we couldn't have done this without vast amounts of money so we, the people who live there, can hire professionals to help us do it and Cameron doesn't get that. Well it costs a lot of money government money to get the government off your back Um, right we've had uh, three debates how have they changed the campaign for better or for worse or changed the outcome Martin well I think in in terms of um, how they changed the process I mean they have dominated the the whole campaign you know it's been a triumph for old-fashioned steam-driven television Uh, and those who said that this uh, uh, campaign was going to be the uh, you know the the first great internet campaign. I don't think that's true. Uh, there may be one somewhere down the line, but what the internet does, I think, uh, you know, is all about enabling people to organise a bit better. It doesn't really change the debate. These de- the, the, these debates have really changed the campaign. Clearly, the most sing- the single most significant thing I think over the three has been that because the three leaders have been able to take. Uh, part in these debates on equal terms, the Lib Dems have become the the third party on equal terms. Previously we had sort of two and a half party politics. Now I think we genuinely have three party politics. That's the single most important thing. But at the end of the day, the single most important thing is that I think Cameron is going to be Prime Minister a week from now. 
Well, a week is a bit tight. What do you think, Polly? There may be a bit of shilly-shallying if there isn't a clear result. Won't there be? I think that right from the beginning and all the way through, I've always thought that Cameron would be the man to walk through the door of number 10. The question is whether he walks alone or whether he has to have companions with him. Uh, and that's you don't your, mean George Osborne there, do you? Uh, well, I'm sure he'll be there somewhere too. <laughs> I mean, whether he can govern alone. And I think at the moment that hangs in the balance and he hasn't made it yet. And uh, that's what we wait to see. But I think it looks like, I think it always did look like when you look at that array. But I do think these debates have changed everything. For one thing, it's real substance. An hour and a half, three times, watched by millions of people. This is substance. People kept saying, oh, it's nothing but image and what tie they wore. Nonsense. They're actually talking about real stuff. Except, last complaint, I thought this evening, maybe I'm getting debate weary already, they're all talking too fast and too intently, and there is no variation of tone and pace. And I began to think, I can't absorb all this, and I know most of it. It's just too much. People sitting at home after a long day's work, they're going to stick with this. Well, I think that's a good point in that, in, you know, what people, you know, who, who are very careful in watching these things say is that, you know, it's all down to what you say at the beginning uh, when most people are watching and it's all down to what's replayed on the bulletins for the next uh, 24 hours. And, you know, I think that's prob- probably true. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, these have been a great civic success, these debates. And at a time when politics needed uh, a few successes, I don't think we should be too uh, grudging or too churlish about it. It's been good for British oh, politics. Yes, it's been very good. And it's completely transformed the landscape because we used to be two and a half parties and now we're three, all thanks to these debates. And Labour is in third place. We move so fast, fast in these Uh, discussions in the course of an election campaign, think how shocked we would have been three weeks ago to hear that Labour was going to fall behind the Liberal Democrats. We've got used to the idea, quickly. I've been reading the history. The Lib Dems have had many false dawns, but this looks like a better false dawn than most. That's it from all of us. Thank you very much to all my guests, Polly Toynbee, Martin Kettle, and in distant Birmingham, Paul Lewis. The Daily Podcast will be recorded live in London on Tuesday night, and you can come along. For details of how to buy the tickets, go to guardian.co.uk slash politicsweekly. I hope to uh, talk to you again and speak next week. This is Michael White. Good night. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.